Welcome to episode nine of the Never Ending Glory podcast. I'm your host, Luke Grilly, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Jerry Burris. Jerry, we've had back-to-back nights of podcasting. How you feeling? Do you feel a little burnt out from last night's hot sport takes? Are you ready to rock and roll tonight? It's such a big week in Cleveland. There's nothing that can t- that'll wear me out right now. Yeah, it, it's obviously we're coming up on the NBA Finals. Game one starts tomorrow night at nine o'clock against the Warriors. So we got to churn out as much content as possible. And we finally found a guest that is not one of our idiot friends. He's a pretty <laughs> smart guy. Uh, great guest to have on the podcast tonight. Again, out of our inner circle. Jerry, you found this gentleman in his podcast on the Twitter yeah. machine. And um, it's, he's, he's going to be great to have tonight. Absolutely. Um, uh, came across the Cavalytics podcast on Twitter. Started you know, poking around and, and saw it. They had a good Reddit, pro- um, a good Reddit presence. Uh, I'm a big fan of Reddit. So... Uh, very excited to have this guest on. I am before we introduce Keith from Cavalytics. I don't get Reddit. Reddit confuses the shit out of me. <laughs> I still I can't read it. I I just it's it's too much for me. So um, I'm not even going to get into Reddit. I'm happy you found him there, though. I'm happy you knew how to read it because if it wasn't for Reddit, we probably wouldn't have Keith Carter of the Cavalytics podcast on tonight. Keith, how the hell are you? I'm great. A uh, little bit of a dubious honor of being found on Reddit, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take what I can get. Well, I'm at. That's how you found your co-host, okay? So relax. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> so, Keith, welcome to the Never Ending Glory podcast. Um, this is pretty exciting. Not only do we have a smart person on this podcast, but also Keith's in San Francisco. So with me in New England, Jerry in Ohio, and Keith over in San Francisco, we're pretty much coast to coast now. So, I mean, we're going to take over the podcast world. Simple as that. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got we've got it covered. Yeah, so so Keith, tell me a little bit about Cavalytics podcast. How'd you get into this? What do you guys talk about? Um, you know, tell me everything. I want to hear about it. Yeah, so my co-host and I uh, met on Reddit, which again, uh, sort of a dubious place to meet. But we were constantly arguing about various sort of advanced analytics statistical arguments having to do with the Cavs. And finally, one day we sent private messages to each other and realized, like, hey, you know, maybe we actually agree on more than we With think our powers combined yeah, that's right <laughs> and yeah i mean both of us find it a little bit frustrating sometimes how the media narrative can differ from what the statistics say and what's actually going on and so we decided to make a podcast uh, that focuses on the Cavs um, with you know a slant towards statistical analysis and pretty niche topic, but we're really into it and we enjoy doing it. So it's been Very cool. it's been, yeah. a, been a good season. Yeah, it's definitely a niche a niche podcast, but uh, sometimes niche podcasts are the ones that are the most successful because it is something totally different. And and I hear what you're saying about the analytics versus um, the what the the stats say or what the the media says. I mean, you take a look at a guy who oh back in the day Baron Davis used to average. 30 points a game or whatever it was, but he shot like 29%. So how efficient is he actually? And was he actually hurting the team or helping the team? So sounds like your podcast will really kind of answer those questions and take a look at the hard numbers and tell you how efficient a player is and, and whether or not we're kind of seeing, you know, smoke and mirrors or something. So, um, you know, again, us being a Cleveland uh, podcast, again, are you a Cavs fan, Browns and Tribe? What are you all Cleveland? Are you, I mean, you're from Shaker Heights, right? Yeah, I was born in Shaker Heights. I'm Pretty much all three. Uh, more Cavs and Indians. The Browns are a little bit difficult to <laughs> support lately. I mean, it's not just that they're bad. It's that they're incompetent. 
and uh, yeah, I mean they're frustrating. But, they, but they brought in some analytics guys, so you know they Podesta. did. Yeah, they brought in Deep Podesta, who I saw speak at the Sloan conference, and I have some hope that they'll actually listen to him. Um, <laughs> so we'll, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Maybe they'll fire him next year. They were there uh, were there any takeaways from? You said you went to Sloan this year. This this yeah, spring, yeah. Did, or what were the takeaways from uh, listening to him about the Browns? If you had to sum it up a little bit, well, uh, you know, so the panels he was on, he was on a panel where they were uh, rehashing Moneyball. So he was with the A's. I think okay. he was their assistant general manager when Billy Bean was the manager. So Depot started with the Indians, and then he, you know, went over to the A's, and I think he was with the Red Sox most recently before the before the Browns hired him to be. Yes, sort of the, I believe so. Yes. And so, uh, you know, so the first panel was sort of saying like, oh, what happened with Moneyball, which was sort of interesting, but not really. We all saw the movie. Okay? We saw Jonah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it, he didn't say much about like what he's going to do with the Browns. Uh, he, he, it's hard for these guys at Sloan because it's about analytics, but none of the guys really want to open up the kimonos and say what their secrets actually are. So are you saying they're not sharing like their Excel spreadsheet functions and stuff like that with each other? I think I think it might go beyond that. Like I think they might be lying. Like they they talked about the Patriots and they were saying they had some guy from the Patriots and he was saying that Bill Belichick doesn't like analytics at all. And that might be true, but I bet that's a lie. I like, don't I buy that in, in the slightest. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's it's sort of an awkward conference because it's supposed to be like, "Oh, analytics are great. We all love it." But in reality, everyone is trying to like keep their secrets close to their best. So. Well, well, how do you feel about analytics in football? I mean, I've, we've seen it obviously in baseball with Moneyball, you know, hit for contact. We've seen it in, or we're going to hear a lot about it about basketball tonight when we speak with you. But do you think it's a good fit for football? Well, I mean, I think it sort of remains to be seen. It's right. f- football's tough because there are far fewer plays than there are like in a given basketball game you know each the ball goes up and down the court a hundred times in the nfl there's only 16 games and you get some really big issues with having small sample sizes but i suspect i suspect over the next five years there will be some real developments there but i'm not sure if there have been yet they did mention that belichick tries to watch every single uh, play of every single NFL game, so they shorten it so he doesn't, he doesn't have to watch the, the you know the things right, in between right. plays, the huddle and stuff. But um, so it's possible for one person to actually have seen every single thing that's happened. So that that's you nice. know that mitigates the need for analytics a little bit. Yeah, nice. Bill Belichick's Bill. He's the evil genius. I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen all the specials on the NFL Network and on ESPN about him and just his day to day. The the football life Bill Belichick was just it was amazing that first off that he even opened up NFL films to uh, follow him for a whole season and that was during the whole um, the the fourth and two issue where he went for it on fourth down against the uh, the Colts in a, in a pretty big game in Peyton Manning so it was really interesting to see his mindset with that um, but Belichick's an evil genius it's, it's just all there is to it and He's cold-hearted, um, and so I, 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 I don't think that I think that he's probably putting up a facade saying he's not into analytics. You know, he probably is because he's got. I unfortunately the guy's name escapes me. I think it's Ernie. Oh, it's going to bother the crap yes. out of me. Yeah, Ernie. What's um, his name? Er- he's. He, they essentially have a savant, an idiot savant, right. not an idiot savant, <laughs> but they have a savant that works for them who has memorized more 
statistics and signals and all sorts of stuff and like is locked away in a little room in Foxborough <laughs> deep within the bowels Ernie, of the city. Ernie Adams. Ernie, Ernie Adams, Adams is right, yes. There's no he doesn't ne- he doesn't technically have a title. Um but he's got he's a direct not- line on the headset to Coach yeah. Belichick. Yeah, wow. yeah. So he he literally sits in he's his something. He's a weird dude. He's a weird huh. dude. But um, yeah, Belichick. Who knows what's going on in that guy's mind? But we're talking basketball here tonight. So again, you're living in San Francisco, Keith. So obviously, it's a great time to be living in San Francisco if you're a Cavs fan. Uh, you're right. You're about 30 <laughs> minutes away from Oracle Arena, and it, well, in a sense, I mean, you can actually go to the oh, game. Yeah, which is yeah. cool. And this is the second year in a row. Obviously, the Cavs are facing the Warriors in the finals. So you know, last night in our podcast, we were talking about how Steph Curry um, in the rest of the national media or the rest of uh, the different media markets outside of California, it seems like Steph Curry, people are starting to get sick of him and he might be kind of turning into a mini villain. Um, obviously it's a lot different where you're living. So what's the the media portrayal of Steph Curry out there? Well, they like him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's unbelievable. Uh you know, it's frustrating living here as a Cavs fan because, uh, and especially as someone who's sort of into analytics, like I can fully appreciate how awesome what he's doing is, but what he's doing is sort of in direct opposition of what I want to happen. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. It's lonely. I mean, everyone, you know, everyone's all up, you know, excited about the Warriors and, uh, you know, the few people who know me, you know, can commiserate and, you know, say a little bit about feeling bad but i yeah i mean i think the warriors are going to win here and i don't think the next two weeks are going to be super fun for me but we'll we'll see hopefully the hopefully the Cavs can make something happen so you don't have the crazy biased cleveland based media that we have uh out here where it's like today somebody on the radio called in and screaming at the, the morning show uh, about having a loser mentality like don't bring up anything you know great about the warriors don't mention how great of a three-point shooting team that's 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 not what we're about we're the best team in the east we can hang with anybody and i'm like oh my god like, these people are irrational here we go again you know it's gonna be just you know just tears and, and bloodshed but it's it's what yeah, it is i mean uh, on, on Reddit, you see this a lot. On the, on the home team's Reddit, you'll often see sort of uh, extreme homerism. But, I mean, the reality is the Cavs are, you know, a little bit worse than 2-1 to one in Vegas. Mm-hmm. ESPN's BPI, which is their sort of power ratings, uh, but actually has some statistical background, says 75% chance the Warriors win. Nate Silver's 538 says 69% chance the Warriors win. Um, if you look at the regular season sort of point differentials is there's an 88% chance the Warriors win. So Oof. if you think the Cavs are going to win, you should put money on them because you can get rich here. <laughs> yeah. All of our friends are in Vegas right now. So yeah. Right. Right. Last, party. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, if they're, if they're gung ho on the Cavs, uh, you know, tell them to head to the sports book. Right. Right. Well, I think let's actually get that's where the, they are. <laughs> actually, that absolutely is where they are. Uh, Monitor <laughs> being in, in spe- specifically. Um, but hey, let's get into the series. Um, obviously, before we get going, Keith, do you want to pimp out the Cavalytics podcast at all? Where can we find you? Yeah, sure. So we are uh, on Twitter, Cavalytics uh, podcast. Yeah, at Cavalytics podcast. If you search for Cavalytics podcast in any podcasting software, so iTunes or SoundCloud or any of there's you know like a hundred Android apps for um, for podcasts. If you search Cavalytics, you'll find us, and it's C A V A L Y T I C S. Um, and yeah, that's how you find us. Perfect. And of we, course, uh, 
one other thing we we have been doing during the playoffs we've been doing a show after every game and we're definitely going to continue to do that throughout the finals so if you want uh maybe a little bit more sophisticated analysis than you'll see <laughs> on espn um feel free to tune in we'll we'll, we'll have it for you it's amazing yeah, the turnaround time these guys have i listen to them every morning uh after the games and uh, it's pretty quick Right. Benefit for uh, for Keith living on the West Coast and Arnav, uh, who's on the East Coast. He's studying for his PhD at MIT. Apparently, according to Keith, Arnav never sleeps. So um, that that benefit <laughs> yeah, that works out. He does. I mean, you know, especially with these late playoff games, they finish at you know eleven eleven thirty p.m. Eastern, and then we record. So yeah, he's been a he's been a real Iron Man here. Very good. Very cool. So, of course, you can find the Never, the Never Ending Glory podcast on Twitter as well, at Glory Podcast. On Facebook, find us at Never Ending Glory Podcast. Of course, send us emails, negpodcast at gmail.com, and find our companion blog at www.negpodcast.com. So, of course, we have Keith here to talk, to talk things that are going to go way over my head. Um, when <laughs> first introduced your podcast to me and I listened to it, I said, okay, Jerry... I'm going to compare these guys to a literal, a, a novel that everybody knows of Mice and Men. You have George and Lenny, okay? We're Lenny. We're the slower guys who aren't, we're not as smart, okay? And the Cavaliers guys, they're George. Wow. They, I mean, you know, we talk, when we, when we, we work really here, hard. We work really hard. <laughs> we work really hard. Um, <laughs> and sometimes we kill rabbits by accident. That's besides the point. Um, but anyways, again, these guys, Keith and Arnav, they have some great advanced statistics. And we're going to talk about some of the Cleveland Cavaliers' advanced statistics. Um, and so, you know, again, Keith, looking at your analytics, what do the Cavs do at an elite level? What made them, you know, the best team in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, so the Cavs are very good at scoring. This is not really a surprise to anybody. Uh, they have the third highest uh, effective field goal percentage in the league. Uh, effective field goal percentage is not a perfect metric, but it sort of combines uh, your two-point shooting and three-point shooting into one stat. And so they were third in the league in that. Uh, they also were the fifth best rebounding team in the league. So they didn't have the fifth fifth most rebounds, but for the number of rebounds that were available in their games, they they rebounded the, uh, at the fifth highest rate. So those two things are probably their two primary strengths. They score well and they rebound the basketball well. The one stat sense. that the one stat that I always hear you guys talk about that I don't quite understand is the true shooting percentage. Um, yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more to to you know <laughs> us peons, if you would? Uh, but no, like that. I'm slowly getting into the more advanced metrics that uh, people are trying to to use, and that's one I'm not real clear on. I was wondering if you could dive into yeah, that a little sure. bit more. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to, and it's a good stat. So traditionally, if you look at an NBA box score, you'll see you know shots taken and shots made, and then they'll show a field goal percentage mm-hmm. and. That's a useful stat that, you know, how many shots did you make (laughs) versus how many you took. But uh, it doesn't really measure shot quality. So a three-pointer is worth 50% more points. So if you're shooting 40% from three, uh, that is sort of the same as shooting 60% from two. Um, And and so the first sort of combining stat was effective field goal percentage, which I just talked about. The Cavs are third in the NBA in that. Uh, the problem with that stat is that it doesn't uh, really do anything with your your free throws. So guys who get to the line a lot and who make free throws at a high rate 
are more valuable than guys who everything else being equal they're they're more valuable and so true shooting percentage uh, tries to more accurately calculate a player's shooting than field goal percentage, free throw percentage, and three-point field goal percentage taken individually. And there's some coefficients and some math in there, but in general, uh, you know, anything over 55% is is elite. And what, like, to give us an example, Curry's true shooting percentage would be, um, <sighs> yeah, it's 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 it above 60. Is it you know where where are we talking? Yeah, so. Let me see if in like sort of 60 seconds I can explain what makes Steph Curry so amazing, particularly particularly this season. So we just explained true shooting percentage, which is a measure of how good a player is at shooting, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another statistic called usage rate, which uh, measures – it's a little bit complicated, but it measures what – you can think of it as measuring what percentage of a team's possession end with that player uh, – shooting or turning over the basketball okay um so kobe bryant has is you know sort of infamous for having really high usage rates right yeah okay uh, lebron james in last year's finals had uh the highest usage rate of any player ever uh and i think his usage it was something over 40 percent wow. um if you were to plot a true shooting percentage and usage rate, what you find is the the more somebody, the higher someone's usage rate is, the lower their true shooting edge. So if you're hogging the ball and taking more shots, it's harder to get good shots, and as a consequence, your your shooting, your you know, your make rate goes down. Does that yeah? At least no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to put it in terms yeah. of you know the playground guy who's just the, the total ball hog. Is Again, it always, it's Baron yeah. Davis. It's Baron Davis. That's a perfect example. <laughs> is that the right. antithesis of, of Steph Curry is Baron Davis? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. much. Pretty much. Yeah. So what Steph Curry does that, that's sort of unusual is his true shooting percentage is 67% this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his usage rate is also extremely high. So typically, as someone's usage goes up, their true shooting goes down. Because in order to end more possessions with them shooting, they have to be taking bad shots. If you're, if you're DeAndre Jordan and all you do is stand under the, under the hoop and dunk, yeah, your true shooting is high, but your usage is low. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry has a combination of true shooting and usage that is just off the charts. And it's uh, terrifying, I guess, <laughs> is the yeah. short story. Yeah, especially uh, coming up on Thursday. Um, um, and, hey, if, if Farky were on this podcast right now, he'd be so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you say? Well, because we had we had the uh, the debate who is the who is the real MVP, LeBron or or Steph Curry, and you know it, it depends on how you look at the MVP. And I was debating Steph Curry; he was de- debating LeBron, and it, and it always comes down to how do you view the MVP? Is it the most valuable player in the league, or is it the most valuable player to a team? And obviously, LeBron James is probably a little bit more valuable to his team than Steph Curry is because obviously the Warriors still played well when Steph Curry missed some time but yep. he was so good and his season was just so historical in in you know joining the 9050 with 9050 club or starting the 9050 club um and even though LeBron James filled out the stat sheet just Steph Curry was just so good this year and your analytics show that he was even better than I thought he was. So, You're saying you got another uh, bullet in your gun, Luke? I do, I do. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's funny because Farky would just deny it because he hates analytics. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I, I am a huge LeBron James fan. I had a party 
in my college dorm room for the NBA draft lottery. I, I used to drive home to Cleveland to watch him play in high school. I really like LeBron James. Uh, Steph Curry was MVP this year, and it, it wasn't actually really close. That's what the advanced analytics say. I agree. Uh, you can make some other arguments, but they're flimsy. And um, it, yeah, I mean, it, it bums me out that that's the case. Um, so uh, since, since the playoffs have started, that is no longer the case. LeBron has been playing much better than Steph has in the playoffs. Um, so hopefully that continues. If just to, to go back on Steph for just a second, with like you're describing his true shooting percentage and his usage rate, do you think there's still room? for growth next year? Can that actually go up? Because there's got to be a point where those things kind of intersect and start to go down, right? I mean, there's got to yeah. be a cap to this. It's an interesting question. So that graph that I just talked about, usage rate versus true shooting percentage, if you plot every single NBA season that's ever been had, you end up with this line, which is which like basically doesn't get crossed. Like As your usage goes up, there's sort of a hypothetical true shooting percentage that you can't go across. And if you look at that line ceiling, right? Like nobody's ever crossed the ceiling. Yeah. This line is like dotted with the best seasons ever had. So there's like Kobe Bryant's 2005, 2006. There's Michael Jordan's 1989 season. There's Dwayne Wade's 2008 season. They've got, you know, Bernard King in 1985, Carl Malone in 1990, the Barkley in 1988. Like the line is basically all the best seasons that have ever been had. Uh, also on that line is LeBron's 2013 season. Um, and so that line is like really well-defined and nobody's ever crossed it except for Steph this year. And he's not like a little bit over that line. He's sort of like, if you look at this graph, uh, I'll send you guys a link. And if you, if you have a, what you maybe you sure, can post definitely. it on your Facebook page or something. Uh, but I mean, it's when you look at it, it's like, Oh my God, I understand now what is going on. Uh, so, oh, from, yeah. a, from an analytics standpoint, he arguably had the best season ever, Steph Curry. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Unequivocally. It's, it's so strange. I mean, look, LeBron James is better than Steph Curry at everything else except for shooting. Right. But Steph yes. is so much better at shooting. Like, the gap between Steph Curry and the next best guy in the NBA at shooting is is so big that it just, yeah. It's, well, and I mean, and, and what's even scarier for Cavs fans is the second best shooter is probably on his team in Klay Thompson, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are these uh, numbers that unfortunately are not made accessible to the public, but there are two numbers this year that uh, occasionally ESPN will write about them because they have access to it. The company that that creates them sells them to ESPN. Um, And the two numbers are quantified shot quality, which looks at – so they have cameras above the court where they can see where players are, how fast they're moving, where the nearest defender are. and. They can measure shot quality by where you are, uh, how close the closest defender is. And then there's another uh, metric called uh, quantified shot impact, which is, okay, so we know your quantified shot quality. Are you making shots at a higher rate than you would expect ba- Expect based, it on the qual- based on the quality? And yeah, uh, as you would expect, Steph <laughs> is number one wow. and Clay is number five. Okay. Um, and I don't know who two through four are because I don't have they access. They don't to mention that. I do know, I do know that Steph's one and Clay is five. I, I'm just sitting here, like with a glazed look in my eyes, <laughs> smiling. Like this is like this is so like I get, I get it, I kind of get it, but like 
it's one of those things where if this was a class, I would get the basic fundamentals, but I'd have to go back and talk to the teacher's aide like four <laughs> days a week. I mean, yeah. this is just this is this is cool. Well, this is really I cool. think fortunate. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to make this as as not you're, dry. You're as trying well. to dumb it down for our audience. Oh, we appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, the short story is that if if you want this, the quick takeaway: Steph is the best shooter in the history of the league, and it's not close. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, I can't wait to send to Farkey. And oh, the advanced awesome. analytics back that up with yeah i mean like no matter any way you slice it the advance i look back hold on i got a, a question this Go is actually f- to help you i think what is the most uh, what's the most understandable advanced analytic because in my opinion i think it's player efficiency rating and like i think yeah. I, I can use that and like describe it to people but like the king of player efficiency rating is not uh Steph Curry, it's LeBron James, right? Over the course of his career in the past few seasons, it's definitely LeBron James. Like, how yeah. would you, how would you kind of define that for the simpleton on the other side of the country? Uh, sure. <laughs> so do you want me to do you want me to quickly explain what player efficiency rating is? Why don't Go you do it. that for Luke? Okay. <laughs> so yeah. all right. So ESPN had this guy named John Hollinger who was really early on in NBA advanced analytics, and he wrote articles for ESPN about stats. He got hired away by the Memphis Grizzlies, and I think Grizzlies, and I think he's in charge of their analytics department now. But a number of years ago, I think six or seven, he created this stat that he called uh, PER player efficiency rating, mm-hmm. and it's an all-in-one basketball rating, and it um, tries to boil down all of the players' contributions in one number. So it takes their assists, their rebounds, their blocks, their steals, their turnover, their shooting percentages, and it, you know, for all those things, it multiplies them by various things, and it comes up with sort of one sort of all-encompassing number. And the record ever for highest per is held by Michael Jordan. Number two is LeBron James uh, for a single season. And Curry, for most of this year, was actually going to break that record but he had sort of he had a sort of for him so so final 10 games and ended up not breaking that record um and it's a it's a good number it doesn't it has some issues um it's possible to contribute value it it, the input to player efficiency rating is box score statistics Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of things that players can do that don't show up in the box score and so that's the major beef that the sort of advanced analytics guys have with player efficiency rating Hmm. So, all right, obviously we talked about analytics. Um, we talked about the best players and the best analytics. Uh, so on the Cavs, you got LeBron James and the Warriors. You know, you have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Now, let's look on the flip side. Who are some of the worst players in terms of analytics on the Cavs and the Warriors? Yeah, so uh, uh, my preferred statistic is something called RPM. I'm going to try and explain RPM in 15 seconds. Okay. RPM is better than per because it uses plus minus while a player is on the court. So if a player is on the court uh, over the course of 82 games and the team is often in the plus, he will have a much higher RPM than somebody who doesn't. Uh, it's good at measuring the value of players like Matthew Dellavedova, who uh, the team always seemed to do well while he's on the court, but his individual box score statistics are not too stellar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. What RPM is trying to do. Um, there are some problems with RPM. Like, for example, if you are always on the floor with LeBron James, your RPM is going to be pretty good. <laughs> right. Um, so there are some issues there. But over the course of 82 games, uh, it it can tease that out. Um, the best player in the NBA this year by RPM was LeBron James. Uh, 
and he is, you know, so advanced analytics love him. Uh, Draymond Green was a little bit better than Curry uh, by RPM, uh, but those guys were all in the top four. Uh, the worst guys by RPM on the Cavs are sort of the ones you would expect. Uh, uh, Timothy Mozgov is terrible. Mo Williams is terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, the guys um, that never get on the floor. Right. Um, which is good. You should not play the guys that have <laughs> bad RPMs. Uh, there are some surprises by RPM. Uh, so Kyrie Irving had a terrible RPM this year. Hmm. Um, and RPM is split out between offensive RPM and defensive RPM. And as you might expect, his defensive RPM is atrocious. He is no not way. good. Defender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Well, it's good when so you come up with these numbers and you you know you plug it into your your spreadsheets and you hope that it comes out with things that kind of make sense. And yeah, it did. Uh, yeah, Kyrie Irving <laughs> is bad defensively, but yeah, he is he is the two hundred and fifty first best player in the NBA by RPM. He's wow. Not now. Part of that is because when he first came back from his knee injury, he was really bad. Yeah. Uh, and he's been there was, he's, he's uh, been sort of slowly on the leaderboard since. There was a, a, a there's a stat you guys posted. I believe it was like two weeks ago when we were in the thralls of that game three and game four loss, and you know Cleveland oh, yeah. fans were lining Dark up times. on the 480 bridge to jump off. Where you had, <laughs> you had posted that I think it was the tandem of Love and Kyrie at the second lowest. Um, Defensive statistic, like, gave up the most points per possession in the entire league, second only to, oh, who was it for the Pelicans? Uh, some duo from the Pelicans of, of a garden forward, and it was just appalling. I was, like, ready to throw up from reading yeah. this. Love and Irving on pick-and-roll defense are not good. Irving, I don't know why, but he just is not good at getting around screens. And Kevin Love is underrated in, as a post-defender, but he is not good uh doing a switch on a pick and roll no, it's, and, it's it's like his feet are in, in cement and then now there's a mathematical yeah. formula to, to tell everybody how poor it is but <laughs> it's, it's not anything that a casual fan doesn't watch and see so it, yeah. it's it's pretty interesting to to have a stat that measures truly how slow and uh non um aggressive you are at defending the arc yeah no i mean they're bad um, the the thing that mitigates that is when the Cavs have uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love on the floor, they are uh, combined with LeBron on James. Obviously, they are basically unstoppable mm-hmm. offensively. Uh, if you look at the Cavs' uh, net rating, their their net rating in the playoffs. So net rating is how many points you score um, per 100 possessions. The Cavs' net rating in the playoffs is it, it depends how you measure it, but it's it's around 116, and that is the best ever for any team through three playoff rounds. So they are, I mean, they are an offensive force right now. The, the, the best ever. You know, and, to give, and to give you guys credit again, there was a stat uh, that you guys put out. You said there's two numbers that matter for games five and six for the, for the, uh, for the rest of the Toronto series. It was a hundred points for the Cavs, and it was thirty points for Demar Rosen. Anytime we got over a hundred points, we were undefeated in the playoffs. Anytime Derozan yep. got thirty, and I, I ran with that, and I'm telling like total strangers on the street, we <laughs> gotta get, get him under thirty. Gotta get him under thirty. That's all we gotta do. <laughs> Shut him down, and yep. it held up. So, is there as something yep. you see going into this game, this series, that if Cavs <sighs> can get this, or if they can stop this? You know, maybe you need two yeah. games to get it figured out, but uh, we'll we'll wait. That's fine. We'll wait. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give my prediction at the end of the show here, but um, I'm pretty pessimistic about the Cavs' chances here. Uh, in order to win, uh, I don't think 
you, they can they should do what they can to sort of mitigate you know do what they can to control Steph Curry and Clay Thompson's open right. looks. The problem with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson is that, as I mentioned earlier, they're number one and number five in making difficult shots. So even if you get a hand in their face and, you know, double team them and do these things that make it so that the other players are better, they still make shots at the, the first best and fifth best rate. So what you really want to do is limit the number of shots they're taking. So, mm-hmm. you know, the ways they can do that is they can rebound the basketball. Uh, the Cavs are extremely good at rebounding the basketball and they're going to have to continue to do so uh, in this series. And they can try to force turnovers. If the Warriors turn over the ball, then Clay or Steph aren't shooting. And the Warriors have a tendency to get sloppy sometimes. And I think the Cavs uh, can take advantage of that. And yeah, those are my two keys. I think they've got to have the rebounding edge in every game. Uh, and to the extent they can, they need to win the turnover battle. The Cavs have been very good with the basketball so far in the playoffs. They had a number of games where they had like one turnover and a half, uh, and they're going to have to they're going to have to keep doing that. It's tough against the Warriors. The Warriors' defense is very good. What about um, what about pace? It seemed like like Oklahoma City's pace was at such a high level, and that's what got them those leads. They just couldn't hang on to them. Is is something where if we can push the pace and try to get a few extra possessions? that's going to you know yeah. really mess with them or is it something like last year obviously without love and, and uh, Kyrie where we really slowed the pace down is there yeah a, a stat that helps so, that yeah so the Cavs are the third slowest team in the play of the 16 teams that made the playoffs they have the third slowest pace but they're basically last the, the worst was uh, Detroit the reason why Detroit's was so low is because they were playing us, and pace is basically exactly the same as whoever your opponent's was. Okay. Was. It, like, right? Like, if you get a possession, then your opponent gets a possession. That's, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. pace works. Um, so theirs is low because they played us. Um, and then Atlanta is number two for the same reason. Uh, but we're the, we're the reason why those teams have, have low paces. Anyway, our pace has been... Um, I think 91 possessions per game. The Warriors have been the fastest at 105. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, the Cavs could try and suddenly play fast pace, but th- I don't know if that's going to afford us an advantage against the Warriors. The Warriors like playing fast pace. They like forcing teams into mistakes and going on those runs where Steph and Clay make three crazy threes in a row and suddenly it's a nine-point swing. Um, they the play Cavs that, need that chaos to- ball so well. Like if yeah. something messes up and, and at a high speed, it doesn't matter. They're getting the ball behind the arc and it's in. Right, and we we talked about that last night. That you know the Cavs can be a, a pretty soft team in that regard, and that all of a sudden they're down twelve after three big shots, and they kind of turtle a little bit. So you know, hopefully they yeah. can get out of that. The Cavs mindset. have a tendency. The Cavs have a tendency to get away from their offense when something goes a little bit poorly. They're going to have to not do that. The, the Warriors are the best, maybe. Uh, arguably in the history of the game of maintaining their offense even when times are tough it's hard to get them to to resort to iso ball mm-hmm. um they are just always passing it's it's impressive and and, and it, it just goes to show you that yeah they're always passing they're such a great team and they play great team oriented basketball but also the fact that they can they never get cold <laughs> i mean and if they do get cold with their shots it's on a very it's, it's not an extended you know for two three quarters or a few games they get out of yeah. the funk after a quarter or two and that just you know grow i, I think maybe clay and Steph both getting drafted there draymond getting drafted there those players kind of working together and knowing how each each other works i think it really just that that kind of sometimes can trump analytics and um 
but of course, obviously, they're great in, in in the analytic stats as well, too. So, um, yeah, it's I don't know what their secret sauce is. I don't understand why they're so comfortable with each other. But uh, you know, one good answer is probably they've been playing with each other for a while now. Right, right. <laughs> they've grown up and grown to be better players together, and that yeah, that trust is really there. Well, and that'll be interesting too. If like, say, for example, Kevin Durant goes to Golden State, which I don't think it happens because I looked at the numbers today, and if he signed, I just gotta throw this in real quick because being a Celtics yeah, go fan. For it. Being a Celtics fan, everybody's saying that Durant's coming to Boston. Durant's coming to Boston. It's not happening. He, if he, if Durant signed with the Celtics this offseason, he would sign a four-year deal for 110 million dollars. That's the most the Celtics could offer. With okay. the salary cap going up in two years, what Durant can do is he can sign a one-year deal, a two-year deal with uh, Oklahoma City, and with a 2017 option. Don't pick up the option. Okay, which is kind of what LeBron's, I think he's doing after this season, yeah, or maybe he's doing season. the one plus one where he right. has the, and the reason, to opt out. The reason why is because by opting out and then signing a max deal in two years, Kevin Durant can make up to two hundred and fifty-six million dollars in six years. Not so, bad. <laughs> so, so I just wanted to th- kind of throw water on that fire for all the all the Celtics fans, and um, because you know, say Kevin Durant went to Golden State. Um, you know, would he fit in with that team? I'm sure, obviously, they'd figure it out. But of course, just like when LeBron and Bosch went down to Miami, there would probably be a little bit of a feeler session for a few games. Yeah, take a few weeks, a few months to figure out exactly how to play play with each other. And I mean, we also saw that with the Cavs and Kevin Love, and we're finally seeing Kevin Love grow into his role. So. Um, yeah, it takes a while. I mean, even when you get elite players, it takes a while to integrate them into your into your your system. Uh, and plus, the Warriors would probably have to get rid of their. I mean, they would definitely get rid of Harrison Barnes in that situation, but probably oh, yeah. also Iggy and Bogut, and that would affect their chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> sort of hard to know. I think I think Barnes actually signs a signs a max deal with somebody this year or this offseason. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. Yeah. And, and and that's just that's just basketball for you. They yeah, they, uh, when so teams have to reach the floor, the salary cap, they just throw money around. Harrison Barnes, by the way, by RPM is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh, eighth, ninth best player on the Warriors with a negative one point oh seven RPM. He is very wow. so-so. Wow. <laughs> I like hearing that. That's that's music to our ears. <laughs> Somebody's going to sign him. I, yeah, I hope the Warriors start Barnes, but I think they're going to start Iggy. We'll see. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so what? So speaking of the lineups, I mean, what do you think is the best lineup matchup for the Cavs? And on the flip side, what do you think might be the worst lineup matchup? Uh, well, uh, anything where Steph Curry is not on the floor. <laughs> the Cavs, the Cavs um, have been having a lot of luck with either Love or Channing Frye uh, playing center, um, and. When they do that, uh, often Tristan Thompson sits. But even if Tristan Thompson is still out there at the four, um, the, the Cavs do very well with with those lineups. Uh, I would like to see the lineup where Fry or Love are playing f- the five. You have LeBron playing power forward, and then uh, you know some combination of Matthew Dellavedova, Dova, Kyrie Irving, J.R. Smith, and Iman Shumpert playing the rest. I think that lineup has been basically historically great uh, mm-hmm. for the first three rounds here and i would like the Cavs con- to continue to do that it's scary because their defense gives up a lot by not having tristan on the floor but they are i mean they're incredibly powerful offensively so you just have to sort of trust that you can outscore them when they do that and it can be hard if you know let's say they get burned two times in a row on defense they might be tempted to do something like put tristan back in but i think the Cavs can have good luck with that 
Um, as for the Warriors lineups, I mean, geez, uh, everything they march out there is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Except Bogut, we love we to... love watching Bogut wheeze his way up and down the floor. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he struggles, uh, but he's he's great defensively. He's mm. really good at protecting. So, if there's a guy that you think for either the Warriors or the Cavs that's not getting the love that obviously they're not going to outshine LeBron or Steph Curry, but is if you were to take them off the roster for this game, they would they'd be dead in the water. They're, there's no way they can win. This series, if if all things are equal with the Cavs, you know, obviously are two to one underdogs. But if there's if this guy's on the floor, and we're not talking LeBron James from a, a statistical standpoint, yeah. who who do you think yeah. that is? Is it Channing Fry yeah. or is it J.R. Smith? Yeah, it's it's going to be Fry or Smith. I mean, Fry um, by RPM, the number I mentioned mentioned earlier, is right. the third best player on the Cavs. He is. Uh, his his shooting since he arrived in Cleveland has been just out of this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sort of unclear whether he can maintain that if he is playing 25 minutes instead of the 15 he's been playing, but I would like to find out. Yeah, and I think sure. we're going we're gonna to have to if we're going to win this series. So I think if Fry can, you know, have a game where you know he goes out and makes seven or eight threes, or you know, can you know keep shooting sort of 44% from three like he has, uh, I think that can really cause problems for the Warriors. Um, for the Warriors, it, it's Andre Iguodala. He, if you look at uh, his defense on LeBron James over like the last three years, I think he's been on a sort of points per possession possession basis. I think he's been the single best defender of LeBron James over the last three years. And that's scary. Part of that is because it includes last year's playoffs and mm-hmm. last year's playoffs were just weird because LeBron had to try to do everything. And if you're looking on a per possession basis, the Cavs were actually quite poor in last year's finals. Um, so part of that is why Iguodala's last three years look so great against LeBron. But Iguodala is tough on LeBron and he's going to have to continue to be if the Warriors are going to win. Man. Yeah, obviously Iggy's play last year in the finals is the reason why he was the MVP and, and not Steph, the regular season MVP. Um, but I, I really like your your comments on Channing Fry. I, I mentioned that I thought he was probably the best free agent. I'm sorry, the best transaction uh, for a team all season in the NBA. He came in and really lit a fire under this team and. You know, when I when they first made that trade, I, I remember Channing Fry. I think he was on the Suns, and he was one of those guys who always was supposed to take the next step and never really did. Yeah, and I feel it seems like he really found a home here in Cleveland, and I'm not sure. I don't know what his contract situation is, so I don't know if this is just a one and done type thing with the Cavs, and he's probably going to move on next year in free agency. But it's, it's been a great, great, great move. I, I love Channing Fry on this team. I love just the kind of the X factor that he brings in. He's one of those hybrid big guys who can still step back from three and, and shoot it and make it a pretty consistent clip. Um, and he's been a big reason why the Cavs' three-point shooting has improved. So I like your call on him. I think he has to have a huge series for the Cavs to even have a shot. Yeah, he's also fun to watch because every time the other team scores, he screams a profanity, which is sort of a, <laughs> if, you, if you're ever looking for a drinking game, like, you know, every time shit gets picked up by, you know, the <laughs> Wait, NBA players swear? Yeah, that turns out, oh, yeah. Wow. Wow, I thought they're all good guys, <laughs> church-bearing guys. But um, so, any are there anything anything else you can kind of tell us about this series that we can expect as you know as Cavs fans and as as guys who are pulling for the first championship in sixty years in Cleveland? Um, I mean, is there do they have a shot? 
what are the chances? What do they actually look like? I know you, I know you had the numbers before, but you, you know, kind of t- making your own little statistic, statistic here, getting into your little your brain that I can't even comprehend. Take the <laughs> take the statistics of the the heart of a Cleveland fan plus the actual numbers <laughs> and and put together your little stat here. What what are the chances? Uh, I think Warriors in five. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, look, look, I had to watch. You know, the Indians, uh, you know, the painful Indians, 95, 97, and 2007 playoff runs. You're welcome uh, for 2007. J.D. Drew, baby. Um, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I was at, I was at uh, the games three and four of that series. The game, the Cav, or the Indians won game three. And then Sabathia, uh, I, yeah, I think it was Sabathia sort of crapped the bed in game four. And then, you know, you guys came back. And it was the worst. <laughs> but, um yeah, so, you know, like, I have sort of a natural built-in protection of pessimism. But, yeah, just looking at the numbers, I, I think the Warriors have it. The Cavs do have a chance here. Like, if you were going to ask me, if you would have asked me two months ago, I would have said the Cavs have no chance. Like, Warriors in four, and, like, why even watch the games? It's going to be blowout. The Cavs have, like, a 20 or 30% chance here. That's quite good, considering they're playing the best, the you know, the winningest team of all time. Uh, all kinds of advanced analytics, if you measure team quality, have the Warriors in the top two or three ever. And, you know, considering that, having a 20 or 30% chance is really good. And the Cavs have LeBron James, right? And they have been sort of peaking at the right time here. I think if they can win the rebounding battle, if they can continue to shoot well from outside, and if they can push it in transition a bit more, I think they've, they've, got, a, they've got a good shot. Keith? So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. There's definitely a chance. Cleveland now, I had hope above all. You heard it from the smart guy. There's a chance, Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance. Well, and, and Jerry and I both said Cavs and six, and I think that was probably more uh, a gut feeling and uh, just, just being optimistic that the Cavs can finally – and the losing ways of Cleveland. I mean, we've all seen the Believe Land 30 for 30 and just the absolute yeah. heartbreak that Cleveland's seen over the past 30 years. We're hoping that this year's the turnaround. So, Yeah, hopefully the Cavs don't have to face an elimination game where they always show, you know, the montage of Elway and, <laughs> you know, the Elo shot and, you know, Mesa blowing the save and then Renteria. Oh, God, it's just we've a been disaster. So, but yeah, hopefully we don't have to face an elimination game right. to see that montage. we got to steal one in Oracle. That's what it comes down to. we got to get one of the first two, and then anything can happen from there. Absolutely. If the Cavs can win one in Oracle, I mean, things change. Things right. change. I just think that honestly, I think this has to be a statement series by LeBron James. I, it, it has to be. It, it's I've I've I'm on the record for being LeBron um, not hater, but I, I don't I don't critical. love him. You're very uh, critical. I'm very I'm very critical of LeBron for all things on the court and off the court. But this has to be his statement series. If he wants to, if they want a chance to win, LeBron's got to take over. I mean, obviously, yeah, you have to have help from the role players. But in the end, it's LeBron James versus Steph Curry, and LeBron James has to outplay Steph Curry. He has to. LeBron James has to prove that he should be the MVP. Even though I just got a notification on my phone that said LeBron James said that Steph Curry is the true MVP of the season, but whatever um but you know he's for all the, trying, he's trying to get them to let their guard down of course well of course yeah. but he's actually being he's actually it's funny with, with lebron james he's trying to be humble but sometimes some of the things he says it's so like the stupid funny. the stupid so kid from your high school that say that says like all the all the wrong things just to just to sound cool and be like 
No, it's definitely fine. It's a, he's a very nice person, but we know deep down inside he want he wants to murder the guy. But um, and I just sounded like that stupid idiot from high school. That description, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> but no, again, just to, to summarize, I'd love to see LeBron James really take over and just have an all-time series against Golden State. And and for that reason, again, that's why I'm I'm saying Cavs and Sex. But we'll see. We'll see. I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. More. I yeah. hope you're right more than you hope you're right. Trust yes. me. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. And uh, I mentioned last night that I'm. I plan on. I, I'm going to be in Cleveland for a wedding in mid June. So I'm just praying that the series nice. is wrapped up and the the Cavs either. You know, if they won, it's going to be fantastic because the city's going to burn down. And if they lose, it's going to be terrible. But the city's probably going to burn down. So either way, I'm going to have a great time. <laughs> So uh, what you're saying yeah. is I'll see both you guys in Cleveland in June, right? If there's a if there's a possible uh, series clinching victory, I'm I I won't miss it. Like a game six, uh, you're flying out from San Francisco. Oh, I'm definitely flying out for game six if there's I love if there's a chance. That's great. Well, I mean Yahoo, they don't need you right now. You said you know they're. <laughs> that's right. They, they can. They, I've got. I've got plenty of vacation stored up. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Keith, this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. And tune in to Cavalytics. Uh, again, yeah, just search Cavalytics on any of your podcast stuff, or you can find us on Twitter at Cavalytics Podcast. Absolutely. And and I definitely will be, we, you know, we will continue to follow your stuff, Keith, and we'll try to pimp you out as much as we can. And, you know, we were talking about Browns and analytics, and as we get into football season, we might have to bring you on again and, and talk to you about whether or not the analytics is actually working in Cleveland, and they may win, like, I don't know, maybe four games this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what they do. In yeah, <laughs> yeah, we might, have to start a, right. we might have to start a Browns Olytics, but it doesn't sound as good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't have terrible. the same rank. <laughs> but no, Keith, we do appreciate it. This has been awesome. You really opened up our eyes to different uh, ways to kind of look at sports and look at basketball. And, and you really just epitomized why Steph Curry was the real MVP. So I appreciate that. You helped my argument. But of course, find us on Twitter at Glory Podcast, on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. Email negpodcast at gmail.com and of course our companion blog negpodcast.com. And please, once again, don't forget to follow Cavalytics Podcast on Twitter. So, again, for the last time, Keith, thank you very much for joining us. And everybody, thank you very much for listening to the Never Ending Glory Podcast. Jerry, we'll talk to you later. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs.